Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Round two, Flames Leafs tonight on your radio here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. We will be getting ready for it throughout the day. Hockey Central at noon here on Sportsnet 960. I'm Peter Klein. Our producer today is Logan Gordon. A very busy day as we expect. A pretty good one tonight between the Flames and the Leafs. Six o'clock warm up, seven o'clock puck drop here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Your texts always welcome. 960-960. In this hour, we'll be hearing from Eric DeHatchik, but let's get right to it with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Lou, round one was pretty fun. I think we're anticipating a a pretty good one tonight as well between uh, the the Calgary Flames and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And looking from the the lines today, uh, it looks like for the most part, it's uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it for Calgary. (laughs) It is. There's not a lot of difference. There certainly is no difference in personnel. Let's bring everybody up to date a little bit on something that we're all interested in. And Dylan Dubé has started to skate again on his own. And Jeff Ward, thanks to Patty, was asked today about where that stands. And I think it's great news for everybody when Jeff exclaimed, if we were in a playoff series, Dylan Dubé would very likely find his way back in. So to me, that translates simply as getting closer. And my guess would be, as the Flames after tonight find themselves on the road for several games, I don't think it'll be too, too much longer before we see number 29 back in the lineup. And that is really good news. Now, the one little subtle change that we watched this morning in the skate, and we'll see how long it lasts, and I'm interested by it, is the Lindholm-Kachuk-Manjapani line is shifting the two wingers from one side to the other. Now, in consultation with hockey types and just my own observations is every time you put your lineup together nights like tonight are about making adjustments Jeff Ward talks a lot about the 12 hour rule about parking what happened on Sunday afternoon and now your ability to put your best game on the table now Jeff did not hard match in the game against this very gifted talented fast Leafs team And that was my big takeaway, as we talked about yesterday, Peter, that, you know, it was one of those days I left the rink very, very optimistic about the Flames because I know, you know, the type of opponent they're playing and what they can throw at you. And I I felt for the most part that the Flames really went toe-to-toe and handled a lot of situations very well. Now, when you switch the wingers... You're always looking for certain matchups that you could potentially take advantage of. And, you know, we've talked about Andrew Mangiapane, good old plug and play and put him wherever you want. And, you know, he gives you great work and great compete. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on that in terms of flushing out why. Now, as the three of us upstairs, Derek and Patty and I have discussed this morning too, that, 
you know, for Andrew, he probably feels more comfort on the left. Matthew would feel more comfort on the left. And then when you go up against the Leafs, so let's just, for example, let, let's say you're up against the Matthews line. Um, and you're dealing with Mitch Marner on the right side. And so how you go about that matchup, and again, if it's, you know, Zach Hyman fitting in his spot, so just something to keep, you know, it's not going to be a massive game changer for people, but just a little subtlety that I wanted to point out. And it's kind of those little adjustments that I'm kind of hockey nerding out about this year because, again, as we've talked about, you're going to be playing these teams nine, sometimes ten times, it's when we talk about adjustments and it's not going to be well buddy robinson's on the top line now like there aren't going to be that extreme it's going to be some of these subtle nuances like kachuk and lindholm flipping sides like the leafs going with uh with letton instead of dermot tonight on the blue line it's going to be these little tweaks that we see that i think are going to to keep some of these matchups nice and fresh well and fresh when you can you know put new players in also is going to make a difference. And Jeff, in his availability today, talked about the Flames haven't played a lot of games. So even though we don't talk about Oliver Shillington, you know, we won't see David Riddick, for example, yet. You know, the Flames have good players, Peter, that are available to them. And as the schedule really starts to ramp up for the team, that is going to be, and I'm glad you went there today, that's going to be a great component in terms of, you know, the adjustments you make in order to drive competition when you sense that maybe somebody needs, you know, a night off and somebody else can come in and give you a spark. And, and those aren't necessarily massive lineup-altering situations, but I say this a lot. The more NHL-ready, experienced type of people you have to lean on, doesn't it give you more options to do more things? Whether it's within the framework of your lineup or people you bring in. And the great thing is, if it's taken constructively, and frankly, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Because in the game of utilization... The other part that coaches have a hard time managing, I believe, is what's a coach's number one weapon, would you say? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the In terms of dealing with this team or, or like strategizing against other teams? Dealing probably with his team and even individuals. Uh, I would say like just the, the importance of communication and the importance of like, this is, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is why we're doing it. It's not because you suck. It's because we see X, Y, and Z. I agree. And the other thing that I would add to it, Peter, is minutes and ice time. Mm. That's the one area that coaches go to. But I love your thought process because when people's roles change, you're right. In any situation, whether it's on our team, whether it's on the Flames, whether it's the Leafs, is your ability when things change for people to help them understand why is important. Because guess what? 
we all want to be utilized exactly how we want to be utilized. The trick is when it changes, and it does change based on two things. Most of the time, you know what it boils down to? Are you playing better than the guy across from you? And the more often that you're doing that, coaches aren't going to look to, like, take that away from you. They're going to look to give you more of those types of opportunities. So great conversation. And, and like you, that's, that's one of the interesting things going forward when you are so scaled down in terms of your, of your opponents. And my utter fascination in now, it's like these, not playoff series, but they're, you know, baseball style or what, however you want to categorize it. These, these mini sets against the same team. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Like, I really enjoy it. How about you? How, what are you finding, whether it's Flames or just how you, you know, enjoy the sport and watch other games and other teams? I, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I, I don't know if it's something that we stick with going forward, but for, for now, I, I've quite enjoyed it. And, and we've talked before about how I, I very much grew up watching baseball in a baseball family. And so yeah, this is th- th- this is usual for me. Like this is, And it's something we talk about, too, when you look at some of these baseball series. Like, for example, it's a little bit different now because of how bullpens are utilized. But if you have a four-game set against the Yankees and you knock Andy Pettit out in the third inning and get to their bullpen, Bullpen. Well, that sets New York back not only for that game, but for the next couple as they now start to play catch up. And so I think you can start to see some of those. It's it's a bit different when it comes to hockey, obviously. Um, but I, I think you can start to see some of those like, hey, let's set this up. Maybe not necessarily for now, but also for down the line. And so I, I think anything that adds just a, a nice strategic wrinkle and quite frankly, get some of these teams thinking a little bit more unconventionally. I'm all for. So I've I've quite enjoyed it so far. See, hockey is always more. It's about the setup in terms of utilization and matchups. But as we've chatted about in the last couple of weeks, you know, Jeff Ward and other coaches that I've been around, I had a great con. I'll give you a perfect example. Former coach of the Moose Jaw Warriors, former coach in Kamloops, um, spent even some time with the national junior team in the mid-2000s, a guy by the name of Dave Hunchak. Peter, he's the first guy that really talked to me several years ago about this. That every single situation in a game for a coach is scripted. Penalty kills, bump-up shifts, who you're going to use next. You know, we don't think necessarily about hockey, and, and hockey isn't scripted. That's why it is different. But they go in, the coaching staff, every game with a plan in place of how they want their team to dictate to one another. You know, Cassie Campbell sent me an interesting note today and give her a lot of credit and things she's digging into about some utilization where, you know, we talked yesterday a lot about Sean Monaghan and his growth, and then Ryan Huska gave us a beautiful clip about it. But the game within the game, if you're interested, is Sean's game, I think, has grown exponentially. Now, are you still looking to use 
you know, his line in as many offensive zone situations as you can? Yes. So here's the interesting number. So he played, Sean did, and this is just the Matthews breakdown. It's not the Tavares breakdown. Didn't have a defensive zone start against Austin Matthews' line, but did play seven minutes and 15 seconds against them and handled himself really well. So those are the games within the game, and that's where adjustments you know, come from. You want to utilize your people the best that you can. But one of the frustrating things for me sometimes is that it's just, Peter, it's just not as simple as, well, let's not try to make this guy or this guy into something he's not. No. No, the more well-rounded and complete people you have in your lineup that do it the right way, Don't you like your chances of your group being successful? The more guys you can trust in every situation and circumstance, isn't that what what you're trying to grow and build? Yeah, absolutely. So I just, you know, I thought we'd go down that road, road today or rabbit hole just because those are the things that intrigue me and obviously intrigue you in terms of, you know, what are some of the storylines? You know, why is Travis Dermott out and letting it in? Um, you know, how are the Flames going to employ their group? But what gives you an opportunity to employ your group the way you want to is when your team is dictating to the other side. And it's your play that dictates, not just the utilization. The utilization matters. We all want to put people, you know, like I look at you. If I want the champion of self-deprecation, I'm putting you right in my starting lineup. (laughs) You're a beautiful guy, has no trouble laughing at yourself. If I need somebody to talk about, you know, combat sports, baseball, here's Klein. You know, So, yes, how we utilize people matters, but how we execute once those decisions are made, isn't that the great separator? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure you could find someone better than me for self-deprecation. Ah, see? Self-deprecating about self-deprecating. It's a big loop. Uh, (laughs) How's the Olympic medal you got around your neck? (laughs) <laughs> it's it's weighing me down a little bit as our life's expectations uh yeah and, and you know what here. i find about life's expectations you know who always hmm. gets in our way the most ourselves oh, ourselves yeah right Oh, absolutely. And that is, well, we could do a whole show on that one. Uh, Chatting with Peter Labardius here on Hockey Central at noon. Um, As we look at at certain adjustments that the Flames could make against the Leafs, um, whatever adjustments they made going into it worked, because we talked about it before. Uh, Aside from just don't have the puck deflect off of you and into the net as much, um, I I thought the Flames played a really, really good game against Toronto, and now I I think it's intriguing to see, can they put a couple of those together now and and start to build that consistency? I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Um, A couple areas that I'd probably point to, and you could see the work on it yesterday in practice, and again, even in kind of the morning skate but a lot of morning skates now depending on your group and because the flames haven't you know played as much the 
Leafs are still going through an optional, and the Flames, you know, had a full today. Peter, the middle of the ice. The middle of the ice, the neutral zone. Always hard not to focus on what happens in your end and in the other team end and, and vice versa. But your ability against a team like Toronto, who can be so great in transition, involve their defense, and guess what? The Flames are trying to do exactly that same thing. Most teams are. But how you handle the middle of the ice, and when you make it difficult in there, I think more often than not, and I really believe this, when you scan a game and go over games and watch it closely, the team that seems to have the less, the least amount of resistance with the puck getting through the middle of the ice, they dictate a lot of play. They dictate a lot of play. And the other interesting thing that Noah Hannafin brought up the other night on our post-game show is that the Leafs do it in different ways. I think the most dangerous teams... And it's a transition I truly believe that the Leafs are trying to make. We'd all agree, wouldn't we, that you know their high-end skill and speed is potentially right up there with almost anybody in the league. I yeah. think where the Leafs continue to have to make strides, and I saw a lot of good things in their game the other day, is using that speed not only when you have it, but how you get it back. When I think about what Pittsburgh did to win the 2017 and 2018 Stanley Cup, as much as I was taken aback by Crosby and Malkin and all their, you know, high-end weapons, what impressed me the most, those two Stanley Cup runs, was not how they used their speed when they had it. It was how they used their speed to get it back. And your commitment with your best people to buy into that program. So the middle of the ice, dealing with the leaf speed, all the pressure they put on you, you know, good stick utilization. I love it because, you know, Sunday I found to be a really good game, maybe for some people, and I've talked to some people after. They, they didn't see it quite as entertaining or interesting as I did. But I can't wait to see, because I expect a better Leafs team. My guess is, Peter, the Flames, even though they lost, were probably more of the team who would want to put more of that game on the table. I'm curious about how the Leafs respond. And a big part of what Toronto does, obviously we know, like Matthews and Tavares and Marner are kind of the, the marquee guys, but William Nylander is very intriguing as well. Um, on most teams, he'd be the most talented dude out on that ice, and, and he might still be with Toronto. That that kid, oh. he doesn't get the same headlines, but man, oh man, he's good. Okay. He is an enigma for me, and has been from the first time I laid eyes on him at the 2015 World Junior Championship in Toronto. And I watched him in that tournament with my own two eyes twice. Do you know what my original observations were? Hmm. I'm not sure. I've seen a guy that is faster and more gifted coming out of that country in quite some time. But my other observation, and this is going to sound a little harsh, and I apologize because I don't want to disrespect him, 
didn't remember him spending a lot of time and responsible play away from the puck. I watched him close yesterday in practice. This guy does things that I am telling you, 97, 98% of players in this league cannot do. Can't. Plays he makes, seam passes yesterday, watching the Leafs go through their special teams, the way he skates, um, the, his vision. The only thing that William Nylander has never been able to do yet, and I said yet, is when it gets really difficult, he's always left me wanting more. He's still a young player. He's still growing. He's got lots of help. But I guarantee you, this guy tonight, every time I watch him, he's a bit of an enigma because I'm going to see things tonight. I'm like, you got to handle that a little better. But on the other hand, he's going to bring me out of my chair tonight about three or four times. So a lot of focus, and, and there is, on Matthews and Marner, and for good reason. As, as some of my buddies closest to me bug me about, don't forget about the other guy. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really rounds that forward group out, uh, I feel like, for them. And if if some of those, what do you do in there, moments kind of go away, then we're talking about a really, really high-level player in the National Hockey League. Committed to the hard stuff. I had a coach tell me this summer that one of the most difficult things to do is with really talented and skilled offensive players to get them to understand and make them more accountable in their 200-foot game. Yeah. And that is, uh, again, like it's something we talked and kind of rounds the whole conversation out. The, the more guys that you can trust in more situations, the better your team is. And we'll see if uh, Nylander can get to that. The Flames are hoping he forgets about it for at least one more night as uh, they take on Toronto this evening. Lou, I can't wait for it and uh, can't wait to break it all down with you tomorrow. Thanks today. This was fun. Thank you, as always. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. You may have figured it out from the first 24 minutes of the program, but Lou is back on Hockey Central at noon ask, or answering your questions about the NHL, the Flames, and so much more. You can send in questions at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Tuning in Fridays at noon to see if your question was answered. If it is, you're getting 100 bucks and a gift card to Ruth's Chris to use when they open. Winners will be selected weekly until the end of the regular season. Brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. When you hear the sizzle of the best steak in town, you can't help but get excited. And at Ruth's Chris, they can't wait to celebrate with you again soon go flames uh i can't imagine once everything opens up you're already jazzed that everything's opening up again and then you got a hundred dollars to ruth's chris whoo fantastic night so uh get your questions in again sportsnet.ca slash 960 we are going to be covering this flames leafs game quite a bit as the day goes on and we'll continue the flames conversation with eric dehatchuk next as we break down the goldie conversation getting ready for flames leafs tonight Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
Flames and Leafs on your radio tonight. Six o'clock warm up, seven o'clock puck drop here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We continue to analyze this as we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with our NHL insider, Eric DeHatchuk. Eric, how are you today, sir? I'm very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> and how could you not be with all the, the hockey that we've had over the last little bit? Uh, this uh, another case of a, a double dip for the Flames is uh, back to back games against the Leafs after back to back games against the Canucks before back to back games against uh, Montreal and Winnipeg. Now that we're a couple weeks into this thing, what have you made uh, of all the familiarity with uh, opponents so far, not only for the Flames, but across the NHL? Well, I think it has evolved the way most of us thought it would, which is that um, you know when when you get into the first game of a, of a you know of a sort of a series, I guess, against a, an opponent, it's the usual feeling out process, and uh, over time, as you know, as there's body contact uh, going both ways, tempers tend to flare, and and the uh, you know the intensity ratchets up, and so you know you get situations like you know Vegas and Arizona, they're basically playing a playoff series right now, you know, four games in a row and uh, and the tensions heighten and I think there's a certain awareness that develops about what works for uh, you know for one team and, and and the coaches have had a chance to uh, to you know devise and amend game plans to you know if something isn't working in, in game one you know they come back with a, with a different look in in game two and so that was another thing that has struck me a little bit that you know as dominant as a team can be in one game you know often the tables are turned in the next and and, and you get a split in the first two games and uh, you know an awful lot also an awful lot of what to me anyway it seems like three-point games I think that that was a great fear that everyone had going into the season because because every game's a four-pointer because every game you know if you win someone in the division that you're competing for a playoff spot against loses and so you know, it isn't like you know games outside of the conference where you know the, the losses are mitigated a little bit by the fact that that's not a team you're competing against in, in the playoff race so for example the Edmonton Winnipeg game the other night I mean that was critical you know to have Edmonton win that game with what seven tenths of a second left on the clock and for Winnipeg to leave at least a, a single point on the table I, I really believe that these playoff races it's going to go back and forth and up and down it's going to be close and and when when all is said and done and we go back and examine a 56 game schedule assuming everyone can play 56 it will be those moments in the season you know the second full week of the season where you know Edmonton you know pulled one out of the fire that looked like it was going Winnipeg's way and that's a three point swing and and if the difference between you know Edmonton making it and Winnipeg missing it is three points or less you could point to that single outcome as being the difference so it it's been exciting and I think it will continue to be so going forward. And with this particular matchup tonight, we get the, the carryover potentially uh, of a storyline that seemed to follow last game with Matthew Kachuk falling on Jack Campbell. Uh, the controversy about how intentional that was, um, how, what was kind of brought up yesterday. You've been covering hockey a long time, and there were certain stretches where if Matthew Kachuk didn't jump on the goalie with both knees, his own team would be mad at him. Uh, <laughs> so what, uh, what what did you make of that whole situation? It felt like kind of a non-issue to me when watching the game, but uh, did, did you see it any differently? Not, not really, no, because I, I do think that, you know, that everyone in Calgary who's watched Matthew Kachuk 
And, and I, by the way, I see this in Brady Kachuk a little bit too. That you know, they're they're both really good at going to the net, and they're both really good at that accidentally on purpose. All of a sudden, I've I've just I've I've, I've lost control here, and 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 something untoward happens. And I think that that's a that's a real skill because you 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 have to be able to sell it in a way that the referees aren't sending you off for for embellishment. And and these guys draw penalties like 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 flies, like no one's business. So they they have essentially perfected the art of of doing the you know the hard work going to the net which not everyone has the you know the capacity or the interest in in doing and then when they arrive there if they can somehow disrupt the play without it appearing to be a foul then then more power to them so you know nothing that we've seen out of Matthew Kachuk so far this year is any different than what we've seen out of him for all the years that that he's played here and uh, you know he, he just you know he, he's he's perfected this that fine line it's a, it's a fine line to to uh, walk when you're being a pest uh, you know, to 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 get to continue to get the calls because there's an awful lot of time in the history of the National Hockey League. You know, when when all of a sudden, you know, if if you fall into that category of the boy who cried wolf once too often, you you get none of the calls, and then then he's still getting the calls and he's still playing the same way. So, you know, nothing really needs to change as far as I'm concerned. You know, just you know what he's doing is succeeding, and he's got to keep he's got to keep it up. <laughs> and I'm sure he will with a, a <laughs> smile on his face. <laughs> um, looking at the, the Flames goalie situation, uh, that's been discussed here the last couple of days, as there hasn't really been an obvious spot to put David Riddick in yet. Uh, and Markstrom hasn't really given them a reason to pull him out yet. So how do you view the, the Flames goalie situation and how they're going to work things and kind of balance keeping Markstrom hot, but not having Riddick stapled to the bench for a month? Right. Well, uh, first of all, I do think that that you know, uh, whenever they you know they finally do turn to to, to David Riddick, which which they're going to have to, you know, that there will be an enormous amount of pressure on him because that that's the nature of of the backup goaltender. So I, what I would say is that in the last couple of years, because of the situation here of a one and one A, when it was Riddick and Talbot, or before that Riddick and 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 Mike Smith, you know, he could reasonably claim to to be you know a, a you know in part of a workshop where he's going to get about 50% of the starts. And it's, it's easier, I think, as a goaltender to stay ready in that situation. There may come a time where, you know, they ride the hot hand of the other guy, but you know that ultimately you're going to get back in there where when they signed Markstrom in the offseason, it was clear that they've, they, they've got a pecking order now. Markstrom is the number one, and so Riddick has to kind of go back to being what he was when he first broke into the National Hockey League, which is a backup that has to be ready to play. Now, my recollection of that period of time is that he was very good at that, and it's it takes a special kind of a mindset to do that. I look around the National Hockey League, and, and to me, the, the very best at that right now are, are two guys in the Eastern Conference, one Yaroslav Halak and the other James Reimer. For, for whatever reason, they can be on the bench for long stretches at a time, and, and they go back in, and they're sharp, and they, and they win games on behalf of, in this case, Boston and Carolina. So, so for this year, and unless Markstrom gets hurt, that will be his role. I don't think there's any question that when you when you count up all the games at the end of the season that Markstrom will play 40 or more and Riddick will get the rest and I was speaking to Jamie McLennan the, the, the hockey analyst and former Flames goalie about this and, and he had a real interesting point which is that 
you know, that there's, there's a level of consistency that most teams get from their starting goaltender. They're going to be a little bit better than 500. And, you know, you're, you're a number one for a reason. It's because of your consistency. His contention was that those 16 to 18 games that the backup plays, if the backup goes 10 and 6, or if the backup goes 6 and 10, that's the difference between making the playoffs. So it becomes a critical part of the equation, and, 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 and so much of it is mental because all of these guys are, are physically talented goaltenders, but when you're only going to get those occasional spot starts, you've got to be ready, and, and, and there's, you have to win. You, just, you have to win more than you lose in, in that situation. So he's a, he's a critical piece this year in a, in a division that I believe is going to be tight to the end, as I said before. And, um, you know, when he finally does get the call, you know, he's got to be good. Well, and the other layer to that, as we've talked about before in this conversation, is just how important all of these games are. You can't just, uh, like, waste a night against Carolina on a Tuesday just to get the backup ready. And I'm not saying putting Riddick in is wasting a night. But, again, all of these games are division opponents. All of these games are against some pretty quality teams. You can't just have a, oh, well, the backup was in, so we lost 4-2. to Like, you you can't really afford those in this 56-game sprint. No, 100% right. And the other thing that McClellan said in the, in the conversation we had that I thought was really critical, he pointed to you know, his time here in Calgary, and he said that, that when Daryl Sutter would come to him and say exactly that, he said, you know, you're not just here to give Kiprasov the night out. We need you to win. We need you to win this game. And so, you know, but I, I think that they'll get that from Riddick. I, I honestly think that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that he, there was a, probably a, a little bit of a moment of reckoning for him this summer when he came back and, and all of a sudden, you know, the readier goaltender was Cam Talbot and they went with the readier goaltender and Talbot played, played very well for him. So, you know, when you're at that stage in, in his career where he's, you know, he's, he's created a toehold in North America, there's, 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 a, there's a, a, you know, a job for him here for a long period of time if he, you know, keeps his eye on the ball, I think that he will. He recognizes this as as yet another opportunity or, or another um, you know obstacle that you have to overcome sometimes if you want to have a long career as a professional athlete. And uh, you know, just in terms of the way he carries himself and his mindset, I, you know, he's competitive. Um, you know, he's likable in, in in the dressing room. Like he checks a lot of the boxes. And so, so I, I'm expecting good things from him. I, like I, I, I guess I get the sense from some of the conversation that's going on that people are concerned about him and, and how will he react. And, and, uh, you know, probably that little cameo in the bubble was, you know, like that, that kind of lingers in people's minds and that didn't go very well for him, but, but I really do. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's absolutely mm-hmm. going to be fine. Chatting with Eric DeHatchik here on Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Elsewhere in the National Hockey League, an intriguing matchup tonight as Vegas takes on St. Louis. Uh, I don't think Alex Petrangelo, when he signed with Vegas, anticipated nine games against the Blues. Uh, but here we are with the, the first one going tonight. There appears to be no better team in the NHL right now than Vegas. How do you think Petrangelo has helped with the Golden Knights so far? And a bit of a different emotion, obviously. No, no fans in the stands or anything like that, but I, I'm sure... Or, uh, setting up for a pretty emotional night with Vegas taking on St. Louis. Uh, you know, hey, I, I, I agree with your assessment there. And uh, well, you know, so I actually have watched a fair bit of Vegas because I was really interested in seeing how that uh, collection of, of players would come together. You know, frankly, because 
you know, they've, they've moved pieces in and out and, and they've devoted a lot of resources to high-end acquisitions like Alex Petrangelo, like Mark Stone be, before that. And, and sometimes you skew the thing that made you good in the first place, which is that one-for-all and, and all-for-one camaraderie that they had coming out of that, that expansion season. And I also thought that they left themselves a little bit thin at center ice because they, you know, they have William Carlson there who hasn't been able to duplicate that 46-goal season he had when he first you know, came you know, to, to the Golden Knights from Columbus. And then, you know, it, it's, you know, you're relying on a couple of kids like, you know, like Glass there. And, you know, Chandler Stevenson was a useful piece, but I don't think anyone is, you know, uh, confusing him with a number two, you know, like a, a Dreisaitl or, or a Monaghan. So I thought there were, you know, definite holes there. And, and yet, you know, they've had really good results and, and, and especially really good results in the third period. I mean, you know, the first handful of games that they played, they were behind early and, and found a way of pulling it out. So something's happening there. And it, it does seem to be coming together probably a, a bit more quickly than, than I thought. And, you know, I would hazard a guess that, you know, Petrangelo is a big part of that, you know, that, that the qualities that led Vegas to target him in free agency uh, are, are the things that they're seeing from him on the ice. You know, they have, you know, so much depth right now because I also think that in Shea Theodore they have one of the best young up-and-coming uh, defensemen in, in the National Hockey League. And, and you know, you talk about needing goaltending depth. Uh, you know, Flurry has come back from, you know, what appeared to be, um, you know, a, a difficult situation with uh, with him and the, and the coaching staff in the bubble to to you know be really really good again. So, you know, if you have the kind of veteran uh, depth that you have in goal and and the kind of elite talent you have on defense, which really Vegas never had before, that was always. Uh, probably the one thing on paper that they lacked in that that first year they were good but no outstanding defense well now they have two and that makes a difference you know if you look at the the roster of championship teams the last handful of years you know could tampa win without headman did say could have st louis won without petrangelo you know when when chicago was winning duncan keith was a dominant defenseman and when los angeles was winning drew dowdy was a dominant defenseman so the thing that that separates championship teams over the past decade in the nhl is having that defined number one go-to norris trophy contending defenseman and vegas didn't have that before and now they do you mentioned watching a lot of Vegas, and this is something that I've kind of struggled with the first part of the season, is that we're so kind of caught up in this Canadian bubble um, that you, you do have to go out of your way now to, to watch these games from uh, from down south. And it's just, there's an all-Canadian matchup every night. Why wouldn't I watch that? Um, mm-hmm. How have you found the, the hockey-watching experience in the first couple of weeks? Well, uh, you know, so I have the NHL package, so I, you know, I have access to, to all the games. And and what I was hoping was that there would be, you know, fewer nights. Like, so, so everyone's playing tonight. And last night there was one game, and it wasn't a very compelling game, and I didn't stay with it for very long. So, you know, there's a part of me that thinks in an era where there's no fans, they could have done a much better job of, 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 of creating a, a greater balance in, in the schedule. Because tonight there, there, there's just too many games. Who, who can watch them all, right? You know, I'll probably, you know, like a lot of people in this market focus primarily on Calgary and Toronto when they're on you still have you know an opportunity to see two hours worth of hockey before that and maybe a little bit afterwards too but uh, um, I, I wish the NHL had done a, a better job of, of spooling out the games the way they did in the bubble you know in the bubble it didn't seem to matter to them you know that you know you have games in the afternoon there wasn't as many conflicts so if you really wanted to watch hockey 
constantly you could. And, um, you know, this week for sure, if you look at the schedule, you know, it's heavy tonight, very light again on Wednesday, heavy on Thursday. You know, they, uh, I, I'm not in love with, uh, with the schedule. But other than that, you know, the, the hockey has been really compelling. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, you, you, you try – I think I told, said this to you last week. I try not to, uh, to put too much into the first week because, you know, there are players that, you know, go out of, get out of the gate really, really fast, and there are others that struggle and are slow. And you just know that good players will eventually, you know, find, find their way. So, you know, to me, I, I like to wait until the end of the first month anyway and then look up – and see, and if somebody's still dragging and not producing, you know, then you have to start looking for reasons why that that might be be happening. But uh, you know, the the long history, of, uh, you know, for me anyway, of covering in the NHL is that if, if you're a good player, you eventually find your way. Sometimes it just takes a little bit longer, depending on the year. Uh, last one for you. We had a pretty big trade in the NHL over the weekend. Pierre-Luc Dubois and a pick on their way to Winnipeg. Patrick Laine and Roslevic on their way to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, not often we get a, a couple young players drafted very high in their draft um, traded for each other. But this one, I, I think it's a really, really interesting trade. Did you see an edge to either side in this deal? No, no, and, and I'm, uh, I'm part of that school that really hates to rush to judgment in, in these sorts of things because, I, you know, you, you can get burned very, very easily. And I did see on social media, you know, that there were people that immediately, you know, declared that Winnipeg was a clear winner because they got the center. And, you know, and centers are, are just so, you know, so, so important when it comes to, to building blocks. And if you have someone like Shifley there and then you get a young Dubois, that's, you know, that's enviable depth, you know, 100%. But on the other hand, there were people that also awarded the trade to, to Columbus because Lina is a unique talent. And if he is a guy that at the end of his career, you know, has goal scoring numbers up around Alex Ovechkin as well, you know, goal scoring is the hardest thing to do in the National Hockey League these days, even, even as the, you know, the dead puck era has, has passed. I always go back to something similar that happened a few years ago involving Columbus when they traded Ryan Johansson, who was their number one center at that time, in the same way that Dubois was up until this weekend, for Seth Jones. And if you, if you evaluate that trade at the end of the first season, pretty even, because Johansson went into Nashville and played very well. At the end of the second season, also pretty even, because Johansson had his best year as a, as, a, as a predator then, and, and that was a team that was on the rise. So after 18 months, it looked like one of those win-win kind of a, a, a trades, right? So then three years later, you know, Jones is one of the top 10 defensemen in the National Hockey League, you know, a cornerstone piece, and, and Ryan Johansson is an overpaid guy who plateaued and then dipped a little bit and, you know, and, and might be available in the expansion draft. So the evaluation you would have made at the end of year two is completely different than the evaluation you would make at the end of year five. And so, I mean, you know, I'll, it won't be me you're talking to, but, but I don't think you can get a real sense of how this plays out until lots of time has passed. And, and, but I will say that, you know, my sense of listening to both of them was because there was this notion that um, these guys – 
you wanted to get out of one market to get to a, a larger market. And the analogy I would use, you know, swimming in a larger pond. And, but it sounds like, you know, from listening to them, that it wasn't just a larger pond that they wanted. It's a different pond. So if simply being in a different pond, you know, helps them get their careers back on track and helps them approach the game with the right mindset that you need in a team sport, then it, it could easily be a win-win for both teams. But, but you know, do you want to call me back and mark it on the calendar and call me back in five years and we can have this discussion again and, and we'll see what happens. Well, and it's interesting you bring up that five-year one, because just while you were talking, I was thinking about the, the P.K. Subban-Shea Weber trade, where we all thought, okay, yeah, a year or two in, maybe it looks like it's going to be Weber, but down the line, like, the the the, the Predators are going to win this trade with P.K. Subban, and now we are coming up on five years from that trade. Subban isn't even with the Preds anymore. Weber is a, a huge part of Montreal, and, and it's just, uh, for a lot of people, that trade has not gone the way that we thought it would. No, exactly. And what I will tell you, too, is if you go back and, and, and analyze that, the complete certainty that people were about what a complete mess up uh, uh, Mark Bergman made of that, the complete certainty they had. And I'm guessing that not a lot of those people are going back and apologizing on social media to Mark Bergman. So it's... Um, you're right. That's another great example of, of exactly that. This this notion of rushing to judgment with certainty. That's the thing. You know, like you can you can offer an opinion, absolutely. But but some people are just so sure, and and it's like you can't be sure because so many variables are at play that you know who knows how it's going to work out. It should work out for both teams. It should work out for both teams. But but I'm not prepared to go out on a limb and say that it necessarily will either. Eric, this was fun today, man. Thank you for doing this, and we'll chat again next week. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. There is uh, Eric DeHatchuk, our NHL insider, joining us every Tuesday here on Hockey Central at noon. Joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for takeout and delivery. When you're tired of cooking, call 403-248-3344. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. Some good stuff there with Duha and with Lubo earlier today. If you miss any of that, it'll be up on the website at some point today. Quickly, uh, we talked yesterday about how important that game was for Vancouver last night, taking on the Ottawa Senators. And boy, did they show up with a, a 7-1 win over Ottawa. And I, I'm not going to say, well, Canucks problems are solved. So there's that. Just wash your hands of that. But I do think that the conversation about problems now shifts to the Senators. And we, we all knew I don't want to say new. We all assumed this was going to be a team that in a seven-team division, they were not going to finish in the top six. They were clearly pegged as the team that was going to be in the bottom of the North division, of this Canadian division. And so far, that is ringing true. What I think is concerning for the Ottawa Senators is how bad Murray looked last night. And so far, this is a team that is 1-4-1 and one on the year. Uh, the goal differential is minus 12. Now, we were worried about goal, uh, Vancouver's goalie di or goal differential a night ago, and all of a sudden, that looks a whole lot better when you stomp a team 7-1. to one. So these things can change, but it, it really does feel like a very good offseason for Ottawa might get clouded a little bit if Matt Murray doesn't figure out how to turn this around, because that is a big contract for a team that has the room to absorb it. But as we've seen, and Ottawa looks no further than the team they faced a night ago in the danger that can come with, yeah, these contracts are big, but we got the room for it. Because eventually, you don't got the room for it. 
And then you got problems. So we'll, we'll see if Ottawa, we're not anticipating them riding the ship this year, but th this is a story to watch, I think, throughout the season as the Sens were hoping that a Matt Murray acquisition kind of solved the goaltending issues there, and that appears to not be the case. As far as intrigue on tonight's schedule, Pittsburgh, one of the hottest teams in the league. They've won four in a row. They'll take on Boston tonight. We'll see more from the New York Rangers, who have been just, not great to start the year. They're at one, three, and one. I, I thought they would be a lot better. So we'll see what they can do. The Devils off to a good start at three, one, and one. They're in action against Philly. And of course, the late one that we're focused on will be Toronto against Calgary, but also Petrangelo, as we discussed, making his uh, first match or making his first start, I guess, against his former team as Vegas will take on St. Louis. It is a very busy schedule in the NHL tonight. And as Duha mentioned, only a couple of games tomorrow with Chicago taking on Nashville and Ottawa facing Vancouver. That is going to do it for Hockey Central at noon. I'm Peter Klein at home. Logo, our outstanding producer, has been doing said producing from the Iconic Studio, powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Proudly owned and operated from Western Canada since 2008. They take great pride in giving back to the communities we all work and live in. Commitment, it's Iconic. Contact them today at IconicEC.ca. We still have a lot to cover as we get set for the big show. It's a Flames game day as Calgary takes on Toronto again tonight. We'll continue to break it all down as the big show starts next.